Hey guys, first of all, thanks for listening to The Hunt Sessions, formerly The Bowhunter Podcast. If you aren't familiar with The Hunt, check us out on YouTube. The easiest way to find our channel is to go to thehunt.video slash watch. Again, that's thehunt.video slash watch. This link will take you directly to our YouTube channel. In this episode, I sit down with Troy Norman from Illinois to talk a little turkey. We try to keep it on a turkey 101 level, and it's geared toward beginner turkey hunters. Again, thanks for listening. Let's jump right in. Welcome to The Hunt Sessions, a podcast series brought to you by the Bowhunter Podcast and The Hunt YouTube series, where we talk everything hunting. Let's go. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate you being on the show, Troy. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you're from in the in the United States here and, you know, what, what got you into turkey hunting and a little about the history on that. Well, I'm from uh, southern Illinois, um, actually east of St. Louis, about an hour, hour and a half. Um, grew up here, got a farm down in Pope County, Illinois, which is about two hours south of here. Nice. I really cut my teeth down there hunting, um, started hunting squirrel and, and stuff like that up here, um, at home, but we always went to Pope County and, and did our, uh, deer and turkey hunting. So that's where, uh, my roots are at. And uh, I've kind of returned to that now I, I've got that farm to myself and, um, I hunt it and a lot of the Shawnee national forest down there. So it, uh, I really enjoy hunting down there. So did you start uh, hunting when you were a kid? Is this something your family did growing up, or is this something you picked up on your own? Yeah. Um, my grandfather, I, I didn't know him, uh, but he hunted, and my dad picked it up from him, not really going with him, but since he hunted, my dad wanted to hunt, so he started on his own. Um, he was kind of self-taught. So wasn't a professional by any means, but, um, he taught me a lot about deer hunting and, uh, we, we kind of picked up turkey hunting together. I was young, but, um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was kind of a thing we did to, to, you know, be together, uh, share that time together. And, uh, you know, he taught me what he could teach me and then I've taken it from there. You know, he, he, he gives me a lot of credit that, that, uh, He's, he's a better hunter because of, of what I've learned and what I've done, but, yeah, um, sure. I, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at without him taking me out there than the first few times. So, uh, definitely a, a family thing. I mean, I still hunt with him. I, I get him out of the house and, and go turkey hunting and stuff. So, um, yeah. whenever I can. And I've been following you and uh, friends with you on Facebook for quite a while now. Never actually met you in person, but I know you do the same thing with uh, different kids and stuff. I see you all the time every year taking kids out, getting their first birds and things like that. Um, what kind of drives you to towards turkeys? You know, everybody's kind of got their own thing. Um, I'm I'm an archery guy. Even even when I hunt birds this spring, I'm going to be behind a bow. So, you know, what what's your call to turkeys? Um. Part of it is, you know, the, the, the reaction with them, you know, being able to, um, kind of communicate, I guess, if that's how, what do you want to call it? Yeah. Um, you know, just 
the the reaction that you get out of them and actually having uh, them to come back, you know, call back to you and things like that. That's part of it. I think the biggest thing for me is, is that I've, and I'm not one to brag, but I've become fairly good at it. Um, and because of that, I enjoy taking others. Um, that's kind of where my, uh, if you want to call it a hunting career is, is, um, my biggest thrill now is to see someone else succeed, whether it be, you know, a buddy or whether it be a, a 10 or 11 year old kid or whatever that is. Um, that's what gets me going now is not necessarily harvesting a bird at the end of my gun, but watching, watching someone's face light up when that, when they hear that first gobble and, uh, you know, that bird coming in and spitting and drumming and then, you know, not even really knowing what's going on, but they're just so excited. And that really gets, that's when my blood pump, you know, my heart gets pumping and my blood gets going is, is when that happens out in the field. So that's really what me is to, to uh, bring other people to, to the thrill that I get out of it. Yeah, I totally get that. I actually had the opportunity to take a first time hunter. This was his first year uh, out with me one, one weekend this year and he got his first buck and it was just as a thrill for me as it was for him. You know, that being able to share those experiences, I think that's what it's all about. And that's what, you know, the hunting community is great with is just uh, coming together and having a great time. Um, So on top of you hunting your butt off and, and doing all these other things, you uh, have a custom call business. You want to tell me a little bit about that and kind of how you got that started? And So it was back about 2004, 2005. Um, it, it, I just had a notion that everybody was using the same calls. Everybody, you know, they, they had the Primos freaks and they had, you know, whatever it was. I mean, um, basically everybody had the same old calls and, um, I decided that I want, I didn't even know there was such an industry of, of custom calls, but I was like, man, I want to make my own Turkey call, whether it be, you know, out of wood or, or whatever it was, you know, I, I wanted to try to make one and I started researching and, um, through about almost a year of trial and error, I messed up a bunch of wood. I bought a, a cheap lathe off an, at an auction and, and, uh, tried to, tried to make some calls and I finally got one done. It was pretty rough, but, uh, I, uh, I learned a lot through that process and I, I still got that call. I, I harvested three birds with it. And at that time I just kind of, I would burned a little notch in it, you know, um, that that was my first call I ever made. And, and my buddies were, uh, they were like, Hey, I, I hear you're making calls. I'm like, no, I'm not making any calls. I just made one. And and, uh, they're like, well, I'd like for you to make me one. And I'm like, I really, really not that good at it, you know? And so I, I, this whole time I was trying to perfect that because I thought, man, I could probably make some, you know? And I finally got a little bit better at it and they looked decent. Um, so I started selling a few and then people were like, I don't know. It just, it went rampant. I mean, I was like, I couldn't even keep up. So I ended up buying another call company out that was wow. having a tough time, bought all their equipment, um, and hauled it over here from Kentucky. And, and, uh, that was in 2008. Um, and then from there, it, you know, it's, it's really a, 
a part-time job for me now, but um, I've kind of scaled it back just because I was getting so busy that um, there for a while that I was not able to keep up. So um, I've got customers that return every year and then I've got new customers that come in and, and things like that. But uh, right now it's at the pace that I can keep up with, with my regular job and with, uh, with orders and things like that. And I, I enjoy doing it. I told myself that if it got to be where it wasn't fun anymore, that I was just going to quit. I'm not, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, take away from the enjoyment I get out of making them. And I don't want to take away from things that I do with my family or, or, you know, whatever. So. Yeah. hundred percent. Just try to manage that the way, you know, however I can do that. So. Yeah, no, that's a great rule of thumb to have because there's a lot of things people end up doing. Um, and it's because they initially love what they're doing and then they, it kind of gets out of hand and before you know it, you're working and not enjoying what you're doing. So we don't want that. Um, I can totally understand. I've, I've actually kind of found myself in that situation with the podcast early on. I was doing a lot of work. It was, uh, I was barely keeping up with my, this kind of the, uh, expectations I set for myself. And so I dialed back and reorganized and, now I'm heading into it with just a little bit better plan. And, uh, I think w- I got a crew now and it's not just me. So we should be coming up with some good content here and it'll be a lot more enjoyable. And I won't have to kind of dread sitting in front of a computer and editing and doing all those things every other day. So I totally understand. Um, but no, you, uh, you came to my mind whenever I, I was thinking spring turkeys, because I mean, I, you're always, you're my, you're the turkey guy to me. Like when I get on social media, I'm a big deer guy. So I don't really follow a lot of turkey guys. So whenever I see you always posting stuff about that, I'm like, yeah, you're the first person that came to mind. So I figured you wouldn't mind sitting down and talking just a little bit of turkey basics. Because even for me, I, I kind of understand a few things. Like there's even some lingo you've already said. I'm like, yeah, I have no idea what that means. But uh, but that's just how it goes. You know, you got to start somewhere. So, uh, yeah, we'll just kind of jump right in, talk about uh, – just the basics, you know, what are the basics? We can start with like gear, you know, without going overboard, you know, what's the bare essentials somebody's going to need to get out there and get in the woods and start chasing Turkey. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of discussion around that topic. I mean, we've went from, I used, you know, a regular 12 gauge, uh, number six shot that you'd use for like quail or whatever. That's what I started out using. Um, you know, we didn't go out and buy, $40 $40 box of ammo and stuff. Um, so, you know, there, there are some, some things that can get you to the point where you can harvest a bird. Um, a good, a good shooting tight shooting choke, um, definitely is a plus. You don't have to go out and spend $40 on ammo, but, um, a good reliable gun that, you know, you can pattern and, and have a good, tight pattern out to that 30 yard range is a good start. Um, of course you need, um, camo. You're going to need some good cam, you know, just anything works. I used to wear the, the old military, uh, BDUs. Um, and actually I, I still do today. Um, if I'm not wearing my leafy wear, uh, you know, a 3d suit, then I'm wearing the regular, military um issued bdus the camouflage you know the old school camouflage hey man if it ain't broke don't fix it that that's honestly the i think it's probably the best camo for the turkey woods but um 
I, I do wear a, a leafy suit quite a bit. Um, hands, you gotta you gotta cover up your hands and your face. Um, I like face paint just because I don't have the net in front of my face um, pestering me, uh, and you know it, it doesn't cut down on your vision. And always, always have gloves on. Um, just your your hand your hands move when you don't even realize it when you're in the woods and uh especially if you're calling and stuff so that little bit of movement um will will get you busted pretty quick yeah so you do do you uh do most of your hunting in a blind or are you just uh, like in in a bush or trees or you know what's your kind of preferred method there so mine when i'm hunting by myself is i'm going to sit beside a tree um i don't want a blind uh, I don't even want anything in front of me, really. Uh, you know, if I can get in a get in a brushy area, just have a little brush around me is great. But I don't like hunting out of the blind. Um, it reduces my field of vision. Uh, it does hamper you hearing a little bit. So I like to be out in the open um, as much as I can, and that's why you know having that camo uh, helps out quite a bit. Yeah. If I'm if I'm taking someone, then it depends on you know how much they've hunted. If it's a, a kid or you know someone that's not hunted much and doesn't understand that you can't move, then yeah, we'll we'll hunt in a blind. But uh, and it it just gives them that much um, you know better uh, better ability to to get that shot off because I'll be honest with you, some of the things that um, turkey hunters struggle with is when to move um you know my wife's been hunting for a few years now and and she hasn't even fully got when when she when she can move and when she can't move you know she sees me move and thinks that you can just move anytime and um she hasn't she hasn't gotten to that point yet you know but as as you're as you do those things in the field you just you start to get them it's like when to call and when not to call that's a big um, mistake that a lot of people make is, you know, over calling and, and trying to, you know, you think that you got to keep calling and it's not, not the case. Um, so I don't know if so this is too advanced of a question for what we're talking as far as we're diving into this, but, um, let's just kind of touch on decoys real quick. You know, um, I guess I've seen more people hunt with them than without them. I don't really know if it's very common to hunt without them. But uh, it seems like most guys hunt over decoys. Kind of what what uh you know what's your experience with that and kind of your take on it. So this is my second. This will be my third year actually hunting with decoys. Um, very seldom did I ever take decoys to the woods. And when I say hunting with decoys, I put them out now almost every set, um, unless the birds are not reacting to them. Um, I swore off decoys for the longest time. Um, had too many birds react negatively to them. Uh, just did not like decoys. But and I'm not plugging anyone. But I, I bought a couple decoys um, about three years ago off a guy from Kansas, and uh, I've I've never had a decoy other than a live bird. I've never had a decoy. Uh, bring birds in like this uh they just oh by all means plug it i mean 
that's what this is for resources. You know, if you got a resource that works for you, share it with everybody. So deception, deception outdoors, uh, is who I'm using. And, and they're a hard, they're a hard foam decoy. They don't blow up or anything like that. Um, they're, they're a little higher price, but it's, it's just like anything else. If you want something that works, you know, sometimes you got to spend the money on it. If you want to shoot, this is not me, but if you want to shoot 70 yards of turkey, then you're going to have to buy some TSS shot. I mean, uh, and a Indian Creek choke tube or something. I mean, can you get it done without all that? Absolutely. But, um, you know, if you want to continue to up your game, then, uh, you know, find that, find that product that works for you. Uh, they're good decoys. Uh, I like using them. The reason I didn't use decoy, the other reason I didn't use decoys for so long is because I wanted to prove to myself that my calls was what was bringing birds in. Right. Uh, not that they seen a decoy at 75 yards and came running. It's, you know, I know my calls work now. So when I found these decoys, I was like, I'll give them a shot. Um, but I'm comfortable without decoys. If I leave my decoys at home, I can still go and, and have fun and kill birds. Um, but I have been using them in the last couple of years. So, um, you know, the, the other thing you got to watch is your setup on decoys and you got to watch, you know, depending on where you're hunting, you always got to watch for other people. Um, I never would use a Jake decoy because of that. Um, but now I've got some of my own land that I feel comfortable on. So I'll use a Jake decoy every once in a while and have had good success with Jake's. I, can you, I don't use. Can you kind of explain why, uh, you know, the different decoys, whether it be a Tom, Jake or hen, like what the difference is on how the birds will typically i know they're wild animals are going to react how they react but typically why that is so normally um the hen and jake combination works real well because um a a a two-year-old bird or more you know that a long beard um is going to react to that jake because if especially if it's a lone jake um differently now sometimes when you get two to three jakes together that's a that's a bad deal for a, a a lone long beard because a lot of times those jakes will run them off and they'll fight with them and, and try to beat them up together as a team um but if you have a lone jake with a hen a lot of times that that two-year-old bird or three-year-old bird is going to come in there and he's more dominant and he's gonna he's gonna strut and he's gonna pay attention to that decoy and he's actually probably going to ignore the hen decoy and go over and, and try to fight and mount that, uh, Jake decoy because it's a show of dominance. Yeah. That makes sense. That's it's, you know, they, they react a lot like a mature buck would in that situation. Yep. So the hen, the hen decoys now sometimes, um, you know, depending on the situation, obviously if a, if a bird, has been getting chased around by Jake's and getting beat up. He may not come in, you know, that's when you may have to throw that Jake decoy back and just put a hand decoy out there. And that's, you got to realize when that happens, why that bird just took off running when he seen the decoys, you know, why, why didn't he come in? Um, and that's part of just experience of seeing his reaction. Um, you know, if a bird's coming in and I've had this happen where, the, the hen decoy may be set up a little bit different and the Jake may be hidden a little bit to him in the woods or whatever. And then all of a sudden 
you know, he sees that Jake decoy and his snood goes straight up in the air and you're like, Oh, it, we're, it, it's done. You know, once that snood goes up in the air um, and tightens up, if you don't have a shot, he's gone. Cause he's, I'm going to play dumb real quick here. What, what is a snood? So it's the little flap of skin that, that hangs over their nose a lot of times. Okay. Uh, he can, he can control that. So a lot of times if he's relaxed, it'll be hanging way down over his beak. Um, and you'll kind of see it flopping, uh, flopping around. But if he's nervous, that thing will be real tight up on top of his nose and it'll look like a, a little pointer. It'll okay. just stick straight up. So that, that's kind of a telltale sign of whether they're content and happy or whether they're nervous. Um, their heads will change color when they're nervous. Um, and that snood will go straight up in the air there, a little point, and he'll be he'll be looking for a way out. You'll see him. He'll start bobbing his head, and he'll try to get away from you as quick as he can. That's very interesting. Didn't know that. Learned something new today. So, uh, yeah, man, these these birds are crazy. The, the way, the, just the, like you said, the telltale signs they had. I was talking to another guy just the other day about the head color and his, you know, his opinion on that. I don't know, you know, how accurate it was, but just then I learned about this and it's just insane uh, how you can be able to read that animal like that. And I understand how valuable that is as a hunter, because it kind of helps you plan and predict that next move. And, and like with Turkey, they're pretty routine animals if, if I understand correct. So they're going to, they're going to come back to that same area again and again and again. And if you know, this bird reacts a certain way, you can kind of change your plan up and get on a specific bird or a few that you're, that you're chasing. So I totally get it. Um, so, uh, speaking of the areas that they stay in, um, typically what type of terrain do you, and I know this involves scouting, so we're not going to go, I mean, you know, some birds are in the woods, some are in the field, some are, some are here, some are there, but just typically for a beginner hunter, they're starting to go try to pick out their first spot. They're going to look, for sign and different things like that, what what type of terrain or, you know, environment would you point them in? Um, I would start walking creeks, um, looking for, you know, looking for where their tracks are. They're easy to see in the sand. Um, look for that type of sign. And then they normally will roost. If there's a creek in that woods, they'll normally roost along the ridges um, next to that creek. A lot of times they'll, uh, they, for some reason, they just, they like those ridges that kind of overlook that creek bottoms or whatever. Um, so I like to walk the creeks looking for sign and then I'll jump up and kind of walk the edge of those ridges and look for those roost trees. And, uh, you know, you'll see feathers, you'll see some droppings and things like that. Um, there's different, the, the droppings actually look different for a, a, gobbler than they do a hen so if when you know what you're looking for um the gobbler will look more like a question mark um so once you see that you know that you've got a gobbler in the area um most people think i'm crazy but i put out cameras more so for turkey season than i do deer season but i like to see them i'll put it on video and i like to see them strut especially this time of the year right now they're already strutting and gobbling and stuff so Um, you can tell a lot about them by how they're acting this time of the year, what your first season is going to be like, or what your second season is going to be like, because 
holds, you can I can pretty much tell you what the birds are going to be doing in a week or in two weeks. Uh, right. Whether they're going to end up or whether they're going to be, um, you know, looking for looking for hens. So um, definitely start out by scouting those those ridges, um, walking field edges where you can you know kind of see tracks and stuff. Um, and just like deer, I mean, you can drive around and, and watch for them standing in the fields, especially on rainy days. Um, the birds like to get out in the open. So everybody says, I'm not going turkey hunting in the rain. I will go turkey hunting in the rain 99% of the time. If it's not like lightning real bad, lightning real bad, um, I'm going because you can pretty much guarantee they're going to be in a field somewhere. Nice. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, deer the same way we can, we can predict different weather, uh, patterns, different things like that. And so I know Turkey, they're not a smelling animal, right? Like you, you don't really have to worry about scent control, but on the flip side of that, they can see freaking 10 miles away. So. Yeah, they, they can see and hear really well. If they could smell, I don't think anybody would ever kill one. <laughs> yeah. For years. If a turkey could smell, I don't know that you could kill it. If they could smell like a deer, I don't know that you could kill it. But their hearing and their eyesight is extraordinary. Uh, they see things that, um, you know, when you walk through the woods and you see a person sitting beside a tree, a lot of times it just looks like a, a person, you know, or a, a stump, that, that part of that tree. When they see it from, you know, a few hundred yards off, they're like, Mm, that's that tree don't look right you know yeah. they, they can tell right um they may not know exactly what's going on yet but then if they see it you know if you move or something like that it's it's over with i mean um they can see almost 360 degrees so when they're looking forward and you think you can move they're probably going to see you especially so, i bet it's a lot tougher whenever there's a group of them too rather than just one bird or or something like that it's like it's like a group of does coming up on you. Yeah, you you better just be still because if one of them's not see, the other six are. So uh, I totally get it. Um, I kind of want to touch on calling techniques. I don't want to get too deep into it because I know that's a, that could be a whole podcast episode in its own. But let's just do it this way. Yeah. You know, what is your kind of favorite go to call, and you know why? How does that call work? And you know what kind of stimulation does it give the bird that that it responds to you? So if I could carry two calls into the woods, um, I would carry my slate over aluminum. Um, it's a double-sided call. So the reason I carry that is because um, it gives me two completely different sounds. Uh, it'll give me a, a more deep throaty sound with the slate and then a, a high-pitched uh, sound with the aluminum. Um, I can sound like two to four birds depending on how I squeeze the call, how I, um, how much pressure I put on the call, so forth. Uh, the other call would be a mouth call. When, when turkeys get close, you're going to have to limit your movement. I've said that many times. So if I have to put that call down and go to a mouth call, I can still call without, um, them noticing me as much. So master the mouth call because you're, you really, need to use a mouth call okay I mean, if you're in a blind and you want to use a slate till he gets all the way in then that's fine but if you're going to hunt beside a tree with no blind you better master a mouth call 
Um, but if those were if those were the only two calls I could use, that's that would be it. If it was only one, I'd have to go with my slate over aluminum. But uh, you know, you're just going to have to be you're going to have to watch your movement a lot more. I don't want to get too deep, but one of the biggest things is over calling birds that that people tend to do, and it's easy. I I find myself doing it every once in a while. Um, easy to over call, so. You got to just tell yourself um, to stop, right? Um, try to stick to a sequence for a while until you get to understand what that bird's doing um, and how he's communicating with you. Um, stick to a, 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 a sequence, but you got to change it up a little bit, you know. Um, don't give them a whole bunch of yelps for 15 minutes. Um, I've killed more birds just clucking just simple single clucks um throw a purr in there every once in a while and that's it um so do you do a lot of uh i'm sorry do you do a lot of uh blind calling until you see the bird then you kind of change it up a little or do you wait until you actually see a bird to start calling uh no i'll i'll do some calling i mean i don't hunt the roost i hunt uh Usually three to 400 yards at least out away from a roost. Um, maybe more than that, depending on where they're roosting. A lot of times my birds on certain pieces of property don't even hunt or don't even roost on my property. So I'm, you know, I'm calling them off the neighbors or I'm calling them off across the road or whatever. But um, I will, I will try to read that bird gobbling on the roost and tell, you know, what he, I can kind of tell which way he's headed by where he's gobbling. And when he switches directions on the roost, I can kind of tell that. So I'll play him a little bit on the roost. I'll give him a couple tree yelps. Um, if he hasn't flown down after a couple tree yelps, I might hit him with uh, a little yell- a little louder yelp or maybe even a fly down cackle and then uh, let him be. I'll just let him go. And then I'll be able to tell when he's on the ground. And I, I hope what I hope happens is he gobbles by himself um, without me having a call. When he does that, I know he's interested and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm trying to find out where you're at. Give me a holler. Yeah. So so I'll hit him with just a couple clucks, maybe a purr and, and see what he does. If he gobbles at that nine times out of ten, I'm going to let him be. I'm going to let him let him do his thing and. See if in five, 10 minutes, he gobbles again. If he gobbles again, I'm going to do that same thing. I'm just going to give him a, cl- a couple clucks and a purr. And then at that point, he's either committed to me or he's got another hen and he's going to go the other direction. And you can tell that pretty quick. Um, but if he's, if he's gobbling at me um, or if he's gobbling on his own and then gobbles at me, then he's probably committed to me that he's going to come in. And then I, I try not to call if he's acting like he's coming, if he's coming and he's getting closer and you can hear him gobbling closer and closer. I I don't call, um, let him be and let him do his thing. And then once he gets in, in eyesight of you, see how he's reacting to your call. Uh, if he puffs up, you, you know, he's, he's going to come in there. Um, if he hangs up, then there's there's certain calls you can give them that will either turn him inside out and he's going to come running or 
he's going to go the other way and, and guessing, run the other way. I'm guessing that's going to be kind of an aggressive call where he's coming to fight. Um, not necessarily. It, it, it does mean that there's probably another uh, bird, you know, another male bird there. If you, you can throw a little bit of a whine at him, it's a, it's a call that the uh, hen makes when they're breeding. Now, this is something that if he's hung up for an hour or so and he's not wanting to come in, um, don't do this right off the bat. But if he's hung up, and, and especially if you got a Jake decoy out and a hen, if you throw a whine at him, uh, that means that that hen's being bred. And if he wants to challenge, he's going to be there real quick. I mean, he's going to come – He's going to come in running. So, uh, you know, that's, you got to be ready for whatever reaction that is. You got to understand that this bird's either going to go one way or the other. And it's kind of that you've exhausted all other means of getting him in there and he's just hung up. So give that a shot. Uh, the other one is a fighting purr. Um, it's kind of tough to do unless you have a call made for it. But if you can do a fighting purr either on a, a push button call or a slate, a fighting purr will will usually uh, turn them inside out. They'll they'll want to they'll want to fight. You know they want to get in on that too. So those are a couple calls that if he's hung up and not coming in for a while, and it's you know you're you're ready to try something else and either either ruin it or or have a good chance at harvesting. That's two calls I'd use. But yeah. Other than that, clucks and purrs. And just listening to you explain that and break that down just gets me excited to get out there this spring because that communication right there that you're talking about is really what it's about. I mean, if you couldn't communicate with these things, they kind of get boring pretty quick. So, uh, I mean, you just sat there and said, yeah, if he's hung up for an hour, like you're literally going to sit there and talk to this bird for an hour and try to persuade him that you're, you're a hen and you want him to come over there and mate or you're a hen that's already into some business and he, he needs to come over there and, intervene so just getting into all that uh, it's just exciting and i can see why you got this passion and love for it one final thing i want to touch on um is shot placement and uh i don't know if you've ever if you're kind of into the bow hunting turkey thing or if you're straight shotgun guy but uh if you want to just talk about you know whatever you're best experienced with on that then uh, that'd be great yeah i like it both um so depending on what kind of broadhead you're using, uh, now they make them that you shoot them in the head, but they have, uh, some good body broadheads out there. Um, I would prefer an expandable. You start using some of those muzzies or, you know, three blades that things, those things just blow right through them. You can kill them with them, but if you miss your mark just a little bit, uh, they'll blow right through there and, and really not even do any damage to the bird. So, the wing butt, basically, um, where that wing comes into the body there, um, if you're going to shoot it in the body with a bow, is is your best shot if you're not going to shoot it in the head. Um, you know, a head shot is either you miss it or you kill it. Right. The thing about a head shot. A body shot, if you miss just a little bit, you're not going to kill that bird. He's going he's gonna to run off. Um, and more than likely uh, he's probably going to die from it. It's going to be a while, but he's probably going to die from it. Um, of course a shotgun, you definitely want to shoot him in the head. Um, I've seen people shoot him in the body and, and the bird just stand there like it didn't even hit him. Wow. You know, you, 
feathers fly off of them and they just they'll they'll jump around a little flop around a minute and take off running like it never even hit them um but headshots is your best way to go i'm not the greatest shot with a bow uh so i prefer, <laughs> prefer a shotgun i've bow hunted for a very very long time but my eyes have gotten really bad in my old age <laughs> <laughs> totally understand my, my man but uh no i'm just ate up with bow hunting right now so i'm gonna take my hand at that this spring i went one other time when i first got into hunting um totally inexperienced didn't really know what i was doing i was by myself i uh did happen to get my hands on a couple of decoys couldn't have told you how to set them up i couldn't have even probably told you at the time what they were like as far as the male female i mean i knew they weren't toms so i think it was a hen and a jake but uh yeah, just knowing, doing my research now and talking to so many other guys that do this. And uh, I think uh, I got a buddy that's – he's had some experience out in the turkey woods, and he's going to sit and call with me. We're going to try to get it all on film and see what we can make happen with a bow. So uh, I hope hopefully later in the spring I can share that, uh, good or bad, I guess. You know, um, speaking of kind of those stories that we like to share – do you have a hunt that kind of sticks out in your head as far as your most memorable hunt? Man, I, I knew you were going to ask that, but man, <laughs> I, I, super memorable hunts. And I've had some that I didn't even kill a bird on that, that, uh, was probably some of my most memorable hunts. Um, it's really hard for me to, to sit and narrow one down, but, um, you know, seeing, gosh, man, you know, my wife harvesting her first bird was awesome. My son harvesting his first bird. Um, any of these kids that I take, those those things just, they rank right up there. Seeing someone harvest their first bird for me is um, probably some of my best hunts. I've had some extraordinary hunts that I, I'm, I did not kill a bird. Um, had a blast. You know, guys that I was with, we laughed. We had fun. We made fun of each other um, for missing or whatever it was, had some, I've had some great hunts in, in my lifetime, but, uh, anytime that I get to see, um, you know, a, a kid or, or a first time hunter, uh, harvest a bird that, that that's going to be up there right on the top of my list. Um, and I've taken a lot of people hunting, so it's hard for me to narrow one down. That's awesome, man. I mean, that honestly, I'm not trying to give you a big head or anything, but that speaks volumes about who you are and what you, what you want for the hunting community. And it's people like you that want to kind of, you know, get the ones, you know, out there, get those new first time hunters out there, whether it be kid or adult. I mean, heck, I didn't start hunting until I was in my late twenties. So, I mean, it's never too late just to kind of jump in feet first. And, you know, the, the first time you, honestly, the first time you have that experience with an animal, whether you actually harvest it or not, it's so addictive, you know, and that, that right there is why I keep coming back. It's that challenge and that pursuit. And you now are have so much experience that you get to share that with others and put people on their first birds. And I'm sure every time that happens, it's just a thrill. So I totally get it. Um, Troy, I really appreciate you being on the show with me, man. I know we've kind of went back and forth over the last month to try to schedule this and I'm glad you kind of made time for me. I appreciate it. Um, do you want to, you know, throw out your social media for your calls. Yeah. If you look up, um, 
Storm Norman Custom Calls. It's S-T-O-R-M-N, no I in there, on Facebook uh, or Instagram. Um, I'm sure you, you can you can track it down. But, yeah, I, to me, it's, it's not about turkey call sales um, or anything like that, really. It's, it's really just about, you know, letting the community know that it can be a very fun sport. And then once you learn it, um, pass it on to someone else. That, to me, is, is the biggest part of it is just making sure that the things that you enjoy, that that next generation gets to enjoy and um, so that they can pass it on to the next. I mean, that's really where I'm at um, with it all. That's why I use the turkey calls that I make for that a lot of times. Um, you know, someone will ask me about it, and it's really about, well, do you want to go hunting? You know, uh, so that's, that's the biggest thing that I could give you is, is just continue to pass that stuff down, um, to that next generation. Absolutely, man. That's what we do. That's what we're here for. So, uh, once again, thanks for being on the show, dude. And, uh, good luck this spring. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You too.